Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis, the laws of Toen Benitan, litigation. Litigant and defendant, Pedic Asidi, chapter 10. We learn the basic premise that possession is nine tenths of the law. Hamotzi, Mechavero, Olavarai, if somebody tries to remove an object from someone else's possession, the burden of proof is upon him. Now there are exceptions to that. Aleph, behemo, an animal, domestic, a chaya, or wild, she'ena shmura, which is not being kept in an enclosed place, because if it's kept in an enclosed place, then possession is important. It roams around. And it pastures, it shepherds, it does its own thing. Therefore, because this animal has freedom of movement, the fact that somebody grabbed it and somebody has it doesn't mean anything. Because it is known to be belonging to a particular owner. I mean, there, there, are, there are several stray cats that are always in my backyard. Can I say they're my cats? They're not my cats. They're strays. What are they doing in my backyard? <laughs> what should I do? Hire a security guard and keep them out? They go wherever they want to. Ketzat, for example, hevi ateveya edim, if the litigant, if the plaintiff brings witnesses. Shabahema hazais that this particular animal is known to be his. And the fellow who seized it, Tayan argues, it was yours, but you gave it to me. You sold it to me. He's not believed. Because the fact that he now possesses it means nothing. Because it goes, it walks, it goes, it travels, it journeys. It entered into his possession. So if somebody says, wow, this is terrific, look at this. A goose walked into my backyard, we're having dinner. It's not so simple, whose goose is it? If no proof was brought that in fact he owns this, the animal should revert back to its real owner. However, being that there's a dispute, there has to be a rabbinic oath taken before he actually takes full possession. However, if this animal was a guarded animal, or it was assigned to an official shepherd who has it under his watch, which means it does not have freedom of movement, even though this fellow who claims it brings witnesses that it's his, it remains in the assumed ownership of the person who owns it. But if he argues, you sold it to me or you gave it to me, that's a different thing. In that case, he's admitting it used to belong to that guy, but he bought it. In that case, 
he can take a rabbinic oath that it's his be yipoter and go on his way. Gimel the pikol therefore. This leads us to, to, to conclude a very interesting law. If somebody grabs an animal that was a guarded animal or that was in the hands of a shepherd and suddenly he has possession of it, the owners argue, the fact that you have this animal means nothing. It got away and it came to you. A or I gave it to you for safekeeping. A or I lent it to you. Whatever the deal is, there's an explanation of how it got to the guy who now has it. But the guy who now has it, the fellow who grabbed it, says, "Cain, who? It's true. I admit, It's not rightfully mine. Avo, the reason I'm walking around with your chihuahua." is you owe me so much and so much money or you gave this pet chihuahua to me as collateral because of a loan I gave you or another scenario you did damage to me you slammed into my car you owe me damages that's why I have your animal so, you're right, it's your animal. But I have it because I want to make sure I collect what's mine. This is a good argument. And he can argue up to the value of this animal. Why is that? This is the mitoch or migu argument. If he was going to lie, he could have told a better lie. He could have said, it's mine. The Yeshava, he could have sworn, Benikitas Chaifetz holding a holy object, like a Torah, the and he would take it. Therefore, whatever he says, we believe him because he could have had a better argument. The Chain, the same law applies to Abodim, to servants, Sheikhailun Lahaleh, who can walk on their own two feet and they can go wherever they want to. The fact that somebody has this particular servant in his domain doesn't mean anything. Being that the plaintiff brings witnesses that it's his servant. And the defendant argues, What do you mean? It was yours. But you sold him to me. You gifted him to me. He's not believed. And the servant is returned to the ownership of his owner. But being that there's a real challenge, <coughs> then he has to take an oath that he did not <coughs> sell the animal, did not give the animal. However, the plot really thickens. What if the defendant who grabbed this servant brings witnesses? He says, what are you talking about? This servant has been with me for three days, from January 1st to January 1st. From the first of El to the first of El, three years. That's the principle we've learned many times of chazaka, of established ownership. If I'm doing something for three years, you can assume I have a right to do it. Otherwise, you should have objected. And he utilizes it, he utilizes this servant in a way that 
Servants are utilizing that culture, being that the alleged owner did not lodge an objection. All these years, and therefore he's believed. Who's believed? The fellow who says it's his. Because he had him for three years, and we established that it is his, and we hand, it over, we hand the servant over to him. After he takes the rabbinic oath, that how did this servant who was known to belong to the other guy get to him? Because he purchased him. He was gifted. But a minor, a child servant, he was not mobile. It's like any other movable object that's not mobile. And possession does mean something. Whenever something that doesn't walk on its own is in somebody's domain, domain means a lot, possession. And if somebody wants to remove something from my possession, the burden of proof is on him. If somebody demands from his fellow and says, beg this garment, a behemoth or this animal, a ebedze or this servant, that you have in your possession, you know what? Guess what? Shalihi, it's mine. A sho'ul, or it's borrowed by you. A gozel, or it's stolen by you. Whatever the deal is, it's not yours. A hifkaditiv etzlacha, I gave it to you for safekeeping. A socherloch, I rented it to you. Various examples of why my object is in your possession, but it's not really yours. Omar, the defendant says, Lo, no, he, because, this is my money. Whatever it is we're talking about, it's mine. You know what? It's my inheritance. So he makes a bold statement. He says it's his inheritance. So now, the plaintiff brings witnesses, who testify, kosher witnesses, that they happen to know for a fact, that this object, or servant, or animal, was always known to belong to him. So how can you say it's yours and it was your inheritance when here are witnesses that it belonged to me since the time of Abraham Lincoln. So you know what? The defendant changes his story. And he says, Cain, yes, if truth be told, it used to be yours. Once upon a time, but you gave it to me, or you sold it to me. Really? If I gave it to you or sold it to you, why did you say it's your inheritance? Something is fishy. Aha! The fact that I said it's my inheritance, I didn't mean it's my inheritance. I was speaking poetically. I don't mean to say I inherited from my forefathers. It is so much mine, as if I would have inherited you know, we all know different people from different cultures that speak in poetry. Not that they mean literally. He takes a rabbinic oath. Why is that? He changed his story. Aha. Uh-huh. 
Shekvar Beyanu, because we've earlier explained, Sheesh Latayan Lachsalitan Dabar Anishma, that the a litigant may change his story. As long as the court case has not been completed, he can come with a change of story, as long as there's some plausible explanation as to why he changed his story. Six, the closing paragraph of this chapter, very interesting law. Here we're talking about a big boat that you can't hold in your hand. Sfina, a boat, a ship, or anything similar that's large and that's usually not in somebody's hand. There were two people battling over who was the owner of the ship. Ze'aimer one says, Kulo shali, this ship is 100% mine. Ve'ze'aimer the other says, Kulo shali, it's 100% mine. This is a battle, this is a dispute. And they're coming to court, like the judge knows whose ship it is. How does the judge know? So they come to the court, so the court says, what do you want from me? How should we know whose ship it is? So one of the litigants says, listen, Mr. Court, hold my ship, send some officers to guard the ship, until I bring witnesses, I have proof. The court is not obligated to send a team of guards to guard the ship. Why? Who is this guy? What does he want? He comes in and he says, it's my ship, all right. Bring proof and we'll talk. We're busy people. So the court is not obligated to drop everything and go to the ship. And this is a very interesting law. What if What if the court did take hold of it? So now it's in the court's possession. And this litigant went, he couldn't find any proof, and he comes back with nothing. The Omar, and he says, okay, now, I'm no longer asking you to guard it. Leave it amongst us. And may the better man win. There's a rule that applies to some situations like this one where there's absolutely no knowledge of whose this is. Kol de Alim Gvar, it comes from the tractate Baba Basra, it's Aramaic, he who is stronger will win. Let them fight it out. We don't have any logic to determine whose it is either way. So work it out. So this fellow who doesn't find witnesses, who because of his request put it into the domain of the court, says now give it back. We don't listen to him. Because now that it's in the court's domain, the court has possession. What happens to it? The court holds on to it until it can determine. The court does not release it. How long can the court hold on to it? Until Mashiach comes. Until witnesses are brought. Until one admits to the other, maybe they'll make a compromise. They'll work it out. With an oath, as we explained, and just before we 
conclude this chapter, the whole idea of kol da'alim gvar, of he who is stronger wins. There's a lot of discussion as to what the logic of this procedure is. First of all, some say he who is stronger in argument should win, that whoever can go bring proof is the winner. So the stronger refers to argument. The stronger refers to legal proof. And whoever really owns it will work very hard to find legal proof ultimately. And the other is when there is absolutely no legal proof, we can also resort to he who is physically stronger. Because if you really own it, you'll be ready to give your life away for it. And if you don't really own it, you won't want to fight for it because maybe next week somebody will come and give you proof of ownership. So that's the principle of the very difficult concept. There's a lot of discussion as to why the Talmud would sometimes apply this concept of he who is stronger wins because there is no other way to deal with this because there is no court procedure that can determine this. End of chapter 10.